Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. In our line of work, in my line of work, and sometimes your line of work, (laughs) Uh, we travel a lot. And it's not easy actually being away from home when you're filming in different city or for a few months at a time. And I like my family to feel as comfortable as possible. So what do I do? I go on Airbnb and I look up all of the houses in the areas that I am going to be filming. And Mm -hmm. I see if I can find the absolute best house for my family when I'm working. Actually... I worked in Albuquerque. I have a house in Albuquerque and I rent it as an Airbnb. You sure do. So there you go. So think about it. Your home sits empty while you're away. Why not have your empty space earn some extra income? Hosting is a lot easier than you might think. You don't need an Airbnb, a whole house. You could just you could just host your spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No, no. Sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. (laughs) Sibling rivalry. That's good. Okay. Okay. Here we are on another episode of Sibling Revelry where there is no sibling. (laughs) Well, sort of. I'm definitely not your sibling. No, no, but it's been Aaron and I for a minute. Mm -hmm. Kate's been busy traveling the world, working, being fabulous. And so now I have you. I know. That sounds like a real compromise, which really bugs me. No, it's <laughs> now there's you. It's not a compromise. Now there's you. How about Mm-mm. this? How about this? And you've been on now, this show. Now there's you. You know, like that instead of like. Well, first you got to hold the mic. There's you more to your face. What? Yeah, you can't be waving the mic like that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and okay. now there's you. <laughs> I like that. Is that better? better? Yeah. Um, you've been on the show before, but you've been a host. Mm-hmm. And I guess you're a host, but you're a guest. I don't know what you are. I know you're my mother, in case. I'm definitely your mother. In case I mean, people yeah, haven't recognized the voice yet. But yeah. my mother, the great Goldie Jean Hahn, is on with me. Just to chat. We have no idea what we're talking about. We're going to talk about. But it was my birthday yesterday. I know. Nobody knows better than me. I know. And I'm 45 <laughs> years old. And I know that... You've told the story before in your book 
But my birth was a tough birth. Yeah. Didn't make, almost didn't make it. Um, I know. Yeah, that was a tough time, you know. I I was so big and I I literally... um, I mean, I, I didn't think I would, my body would ever go back to normal because you were so big. And then my doctor um, literally um, said, well, you know, you're a few weeks late. But, and I thought, well, I know, but that's kind of weird because I really should go on my date. And then I wondered if I could actually have a baby that big, meaning what is my pelvimetry and uh, could my baby come out? And so finally, I went into back labor. Uh, which oh, you was, did go into labor? Oh, yeah, I did. I went into back labor, which is different. Oh. Um, your back is like, um, you know, it's, it's spasming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was sort of in my mid to lower back area. And I thought, you know, something's not right. And it's not like I was having contractions in my belly. I was having them in the back and I went, I better go to the hospital. And I went in at six o'clock at night, I mean, in the morning, and rushed in. And they got me, uh, started, you know, looking at me, but they didn't give me an IV or anything. And I was just, they were just waiting for me to do some dilating back then, right? And this was three weeks past my birthday? Uh, it was three weeks at that point, yeah. I mean, see, that's crazy, though, because they wouldn't do that now. Never. They, they So back in the 70s, they just let you cook until you were decided it, to yeah, come out? Yeah, oftentimes they did. I think my doctor, who I loved, and he had helped me have all my children, um, <clears throat> But he, he, it wasn't so bad to go over. Um, what happened was, is that after I was in the hospital, oh my God, I was there all day long. And I had everybody examining, but, you know, somebody's uncle. And, uh, you know, I'd more like, eh, you'll put your hand in the thing and let's see that. And I didn't dilate. I was only dilating like mm-hmm. one or something, two maybe. And I had the fetal monitor on at that time. And, but I had no IV. And I say that for a reason because I wasn't getting any fluids mm. or, or anything. And in those days, they didn't give me Pitocin, which helps you dilate mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So now I'm feeling the contractions, but nothing's happening. And then suddenly it was like seven o'clock at night and I was there all day. Um, they rushed me in, finally gave me an IV rushed me in on an emergency C-section because there was fetal, fetal, sorry, distress. And I go in and now I'm, you know, they're cutting me open. And of course I had the block and everything so I could hear and see everything. I was totally awake. And then they pulled you out uh, and then they swaddled you up and I heard you cough. And it's really interesting. I... It's not like I'd had a baby before, um, but something seemed wrong mm-hmm. to me. And I said, is that cough okay? And they went, oh, yeah, it's just normal. We're just suctioning him. And then I, they swaddled you up, and they put you near, right near me so I could see you. And I remember looking into your beautiful, oh, my God, your face. You were 11 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I looked in your face. And I said, I waited so long for you. And then they whisked you away. And I figured they were going to you know, do more clean air, whatever. So then a little bit later, as he's sewing me up, I was getting a bit nauseous. And 
they said, he's in ICU, he's in blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening to this doctor coming into the surgery room. And I said, is that my baby you're talking about? Uh, and then the doctor said, um, just give her something and put her out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they put you out. They didn't it, even let you mm-mm. know what was going mm-mm. on. No. Jeez. It was terrible. And I woke up in the ICU. I mean, I'm sorry, in the recovery <clears throat> room. And um, not really knowing what was going on. No, but I I was so thirsty because I hadn't had anything to drink. I had no water. I had, I mean, truly dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And um, but I didn't know what happened. Uh, and then I learned that my baby might die. Mom, I'm here. I made it. What? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and you had a 40% chance of living. And I didn't, I swear to God, I had this incredible instinct. Of course, I was really sore and very um, out of it. But I, I just, I didn't, it's like I couldn't get it. And then they wheeled me into my room and it was the worst experience because it was dark and all the hallways were dark and, and, you know, and they put me in my bed and the doctor came into me. He was very upset and he said, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. And I, I said, what happened? He said, well, he had a meconium aspiration. And with that is that when they um, are under like stress and, and you know, and it's the back labor and the, all of it is that sometimes they make a bowel movement, which is very tar-like substance in your amniotic fluid. And so when you came out, you inhaled it. And that can create a low lobal pneumonia. I like ate shit and almost died. You kind of, well, well honey, come on. I mean, <laughs> I mean essentially <laughs> I, I took a dump. You did. And then I breathed in my dump. Well, I, you did, but I mean, you don't have to say it like that. I mean, you can just say, <clears throat> well, I had my first BM. You know, you could do that. You could say, oh, I had my first BM. I don't think I've and, ever said BM I, in well, my Well, I life. never have either, but it's better than dump. <laughs> I mean, come on. I just couldn't but hold it. Anyway, well, you know, you're a baby. I mean, what could, you know, babies don't hold it. Mm-hmm. They, they go when they want to go, and that's the way it is. And um, so anyway, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was, of course, is it, wouldn't, it wasn't so smooth because they took you off the ventilator too soon, and then you fell a little bit lower. Mm. So, but it was it was an interesting experience, and I say this because now I can look at it, you know, my mom wanted to come see me, but someone wouldn't let her through the door uh, in, in, in the recovery. She knew something was wrong, and she was very upset. And then she went home, and my mom went to bed, and she didn't come out of her room for several days mm-hmm. because her first baby had a SIDS death, and she found him fed him at 6 o'clock and found him at 8 in the morning, dead in his crib. So my mother, on top of everything, was having this PTSD horrible moment where perhaps I should not have named Edward Rutledge because it was after my father, Mm -hmm. and she named him Rutledge too. This was my brother, who I've never met. And so 
in the Jewish religion, oftentimes, really, they the rabbis can say it's a little bit of a Jewish superstition, but you're not supposed to name after the living. Mm -hmm. So my mother couldn't talk to me. I could not talk to my mother, and I couldn't see her either because if I did, I, I would have split my gut open. Mm -hmm. And I knew it. I knew that <clears throat> the wailing that would come out of me would have had to have more surgery. Mm -hmm. So after a day, and each time the door opened, somebody would walk in and they'd say, I think they were going to tell me my baby died. Mm. And I was there just going, oh, God, somebody do something. I didn't know what to do. Well, what I found out was is that I was very toxic. So I was being given high doses of penicillin mm. because I was also had toxemia, right? Because that was in my body. So you took... Um, what the you know dump. your dump, which you know I guess it's just I'm getting used to it now. So, okay. um, but <laughs> in, in, in me, and then I I got very toxic. Mm. Well, the second day, <clears throat> the doctor said and the nurses said you must go up and see him, and I was so afraid of what would happen if I saw you again and fell in love with you, and you would die. And you hadn't seen me at this point? Only from the beginning, wow. right when they swaddled you. Right. But I was afraid that I would fall in love with you instantly, and that that would scar me forever mm -hmm. if I'd have lost you. But I got in the, in the wheelchair, and they pushed me up to ICU. NICU. NICU. Right. Neonatal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, ne neonatal care. And um, there you were. You were on a slab of metal. Jesus. With heating lamps everywhere and needles everywhere in your head being given medication. And they had given you Thorazine because you were so big that you were pulling things out and you were active. Oh, so they sedated you me. Were sedated, yeah. Oh, my God. And you were... Um, Absolutely gorgeous. You were 11 pounds, so that's like a three-month-old baby lying there. Mm -hmm. And big and heavy and hefty and amazing. But you also had a low heart rate, <clears throat> which wasn't great. So I did the what I would consider maybe the craziest thing, although I am spiritual, I suppose, very much so. But I... I stood up and I put my hand over your chest while you were, they were, was breathing for you. And I emptied my, I, I can't, I'm trying to explain what this feels like, but it's almost as if I made my body and my mind hollow. Like just everything was at peace and everything was just, I, I emptied out everything, expectation, I emptied out uh, you know, all of it. And it's very tough to explain. Mm -hmm. But that's when I asked God to heal my son through me, to use me as your instrument. I am emptying out everything, and you need to come through me, please, and heal my son. And that was my prayer. And I started looking at your heart monitor and it was starting to get higher. Mm -hmm. so heart rate started to rise incrementally. 
60-something, then it would go down, then it would go up to 70, then it would go down to 68, and it kept going higher and higher. And you were not conscious. Mm -hmm. Certainly you were conscious because you knew I was there because all babies know Mm -hmm. that their mothers are there. And I called the nurses, and the nurses and the doctor came over and said, Goldie, if more mothers knew that they had the power Mm. to heal their children. So they had probably seen this before, Mm -hmm. yeah. And we're trying to get more moms all the way up into NICU more often because this is very important for them. And so then the days went on. I was discharged, but I would come back to see you because they weren't ready to let you go yet. And I came back three times a day to feed you. I slept, you know, all the mm-hmm. thing. For me, I would have gone, you know, <laughs> the whole thing. And I would sing something to you. <laughs> and when I was washing my hands, I would sing. And I was in the NICU. And I would sing, Oliver, Oliver Hudson. And you turned your head toward me, and you were all the way across the room. And when finally, when you were released... And How I was long? there. You, I think it was about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And you were released. The nurse, the neurologist said, he's very developed. And he does something. I mean, you'll be happy to know his neurology is very good, she said. You'll be happy to know that every time you came in, he recognized your voice. And he turned his head toward you. Because I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. So that was in their report, Right. So that connection was very strong. Was there a turning point? You know, that I mean, was it. But the, the no, turning point. The turning point where it's like, oh my god, okay, he's on the mend. Yeah, meaning we're out of the woods, and now it's just a matter of time before he yeah. can come home. Yes, it was about a week, and they started seeing great improvements, mm-hmm. and it, that was the um, sign, right? And I would then come in, and I would. Um, you know, breastfeed you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you... <laughs> I did not. I was horrible. Was so, well, Lazy. You know, you were one of those <laughs> special babies, right? So when I took you home, I breastfed you, but you didn't really suck on my breast that much. You mm-hmm. you weren't like voracious. Right. You were a little lazy. Mm-hmm. So I took the nipple from... Because I also supplemented you because yeah. you weren't getting up. And I put an, uh, literally put an ice pick in it, a hole, <laughs> so you didn't have to work so hard. Oh, God. <laughs> that set me off on a path for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know, God. what's funny is I was, when Wilder is 14 now, but he was born at Cedars, the same hospital that we were all born. Yeah. And um, he's my first, and I went, we had a C-section as well. So we were there for four days and I went to the NICU. I went up to the NICU cause that's where I was. Yeah. And I get off on the floor and they're like, oh, sir, like you're not allowed to be here. You, you can't just go up there unless your baby's there or something. And I said, oh my God, I'm sorry. I was, I was actually here and I was 30 at the time. I was here 30 years ago. Right. I was in this NICU. So crazy. <clears throat> and then there were a couple of nurses who, were oh and then no I was at the front desk the little thing and I was like my name was Oliver Oliver Hudson and uh, there were some nurses back there who recognized the name and came up and 
they turned out to be two of the nurses who took care of me when I was in the NICU. Oh my God, it's like gives me crazy. chills. It's crazy. And they, mean, we, they had a picture of us on the wall, but they, I think they had just taken it down because they were redoing unbelievable. stuff. Unbelievable. But yeah, so I met those nurses. I took a picture with them and the whole thing. You know, it's funny because that that's when I put Wilder's name on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted his name up mm-hmm. on the wall because my firstborn had a firstborn. Mm-hmm. I know, and we've talked about this recently because of all of my insanity, my anxiety that I've been going through in the last four or five months and just sort of digging digging into the reasons why or trying to find, you know, the foundation of where stems from. I've been in therapy for a billion years. I've gone over my life a thousand times, but it's interesting how, you know, sometimes talking about the same things with a different lens on it through a different perspective can sort of open your eyes even wider. And I never even thought about my birth as being the first moments of my life because I wasn't conscious. That's right. But that has to have some effect on you and your being moving forward. There's no question. Right? I mean, there has to be because if you think about it, I was whisked away from you, didn't have mother's love. Not every, And put on a metal fucking slab with needles in my head and a respirator. It was horrible. I mean, that was my introduction into Mm -hmm. this world. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though it was an un, it's unconscious, how could that not have penetrated or affected who I am in some way? It does. You know, they, they have all these regression therapies, you know, that they do now where you're re-experiencing your birth um, mm. and how that, how can you can rewire in a way, the way your neurons are firing about your birth when you are put through a facilitator will help you go through your birth in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I, I think it's, it makes a lot of sense because you can be traumatized by that without even realizing that you did have trauma. Um, you know, I had trauma, by the way, mm-hmm. um, because I, I didn't realize I was so traumatized until I went with Burt Reynolds. We were doing Best Friends. You were six, I think. Mm-hmm. And I went in in in, in uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. We were in Buffalo, yeah. And I, I went into a NICU there. And we were visiting those kids and we were doing all this stuff. And it was fine. And I never thought about it. And I went to the NICU and I had a panic attack. Mm. I, I had to get out. I mean, it was just visceral. It's like in my, in my being. So... These things, whether you're conscious or you're unconscious, um, do matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we really ask bigger questions about consciousness. Just how much do children really know and feel mm-hmm. when they can't speak mm-hmm. or when they can't communicate? And we're finding out it's a hell of a lot. So it, it was something that we did talk about, too, which is examine your birth because... It was really hard, and I wasn't there. I mean, you know, secure attachment, right, is one of the most important things we can be for our children, um, to be there for you. And I have cried so many times, even in recent time, remembering how I, I couldn't be there for the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was no such thing in my mind that really knew what secure attachment was. Now, of course, I'm working with children and we're doing all these things for mental health. I mean, of course, it's probably one of the most important things that you can give your child. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm, I walk around with my own, I know I couldn't help it, but I wish I would have just known more then and insisted that I stay in the NICU the whole time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, nobody did at that time, but yeah. you know, it was really, um, well, there's so much more that we know now. Oh, I, I know. Mean, it's I know. Unreal. You know. You know. I do. I really have to say, though, I commend you. You're such an open person, um, and you're fearless. You, you, you have. You know, you are who you are. Who you are. I love that about you, Oliver. I mean, I, I, you don't put on airs. You're funny. You're completely irreverent. You, you know, you're you're honest. You tell the truth all the time. And sometimes you go too far, and I look at it and I go, oh, my God, what is he doing now? Do I comment on it? Do I leave it alone? Um, but but your idea of sharing, you know, what you're going through, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know, what you've been through is so important because so many people are feeling mm-hmm. these things now. This is no longer a taboo. You know, we're trying to bring mental disturbances, things that are going on with kids, stuff that goes on with adults, all these areas. You're in self-discovery. You always have been. Do you see an uptick? Because you do, you know, for those of you who don't know, mom has been working with kids and the mindfulness of children and the psychology and the science of the brain. And mind up. And mind up with mind up. And have you discovered, because you've been doing it for 20 years now, actually... It's almost 9-11. I mean, we're coming upon yeah. this episode might even release. No, actually the day before, but this is what was the inspiration behind Mind Up, exactly. essentially. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Nine, then 9-11 came. And, but have you noticed an uptick in, in sort of deteriorated mental oh, health in children? Definitely. Definitely. And when what I would st- you contribute that to? Well, anxiety, uncertainty, all the things and the reasons why when our buildings were, and everyone was killed in New York at the, at the Twin Tower and what was happening there, we, we in the Trade Center, we literally had a, what I felt is going to be fearful and silent distress when children. I started looking at the statistics. Suicide was, was climbing for children at that point. And also their anxiety and also the advent of giving them Adderall, you know, different pills and mm-hmm. different psychotropics during that time because they didn't know how to handle a lot of the problems. So they medicated our children. Well, for me, I thought to myself, this is a disaster, right? So what's happening now is that more children, there's more stats on suicide. It's gone way up. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's a determinant itself in how desperate our children are. Now, what is the reason for it? Yeah. A lot of it could be reasons of sort of climate, meaning I'll, I'll just give you one little isolated area. Mm-hmm. We work with um, Ocean Heroes um, and work with mindfulness with them. And Ocean Heroes is a great organization. And what they do is that they have all these kids that are actually cleaning the ocean and so forth, but they're becoming more and more aware of, I'm not going to say a feeling of futility mm-hmm. because of the climate crisis we're dealing with. They're very depressed. They're trying to figure out how to fix things. So there's uncertainty, there's fear of the ending of the world. There's areas of, of what's going on in terms of our politic. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing. I mean, we've got... What's happening today with children is they can't control it. So they have no agency over their emotions. And nor do they have oftentimes parents who are grounded enough mm-hmm. to be able to be there. You, through all of it, 
are a grounded person, whether you think you are or not. Mm -hmm. That's where you want to be. You choose to do that. You choose to be a great parent. And you are an amazing parent, and so is is Aaron. You have three fantastic children. Mm -hmm. That's because you pay attention to them. It's because you're there for them. It's because you go camping together, you play together, you listen to each other. And also you give them modicum amounts of freedom to actually play freely. Mm -hmm. So they start to find out who they are and develop ways that they can manage their own emotions or manage the situation and giving them these tools to be able to do it. But they can't do it themselves. Neurologically, they're just beginning to develop their brain Mm -hmm. and it's not finished till they're 25. So we're, you know... We're a huge part of our children's mental health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, so all of it living the outside was these ideas of whether whoever our leaders are, whoever, whatever's going over the news. And also, I'm going to say it the phone and mm-hmm. all of the things that kids are getting into today, they do not promote well being at all. Mm-hmm. They're always measuring themselves by how many likes they have. Yeah. And and they're looking at themselves more in the mirror than they are at other people. No, totally. But there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, you that can. That train has left the station oh, the train and left it is the station. flying down mm-hmm. the tracks. Like this world of social media, of narcissism, of sort of immediate self-analysis where you don't go develop a photo and look at yourself. Right. You're, you can film a video and look and, and then boom, you're right Immediately, there. Immediately, yeah. That's just how it's going to be from now on. So, so I how would do you- say, yeah, so I would say, um, unfortunately, parents want to be liked. You know, when I say unfortunately, you're, you, I know your you children mean. will always love you. I know what you mean, right. You want to be cool. You don't want to be the- You want to be cool. Right, you, you don't want to be the parent who's like, you can't do this. Exactly. You know, you want you want that. You want to say, leave that for the grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in terms of the being a parent, you, you have to find uh, uh, your boundaries. You have to find your boundaries as a person. I mean, I remember- Katie, you know, was, you know, growing up and, you know, Madonna was like the thing mm-hmm. with, with Katie <laughs> and she was quite young, but I didn't stop her from watching Madonna. Mm-hmm. I thought Madonna actually had a great voice and I loved her music, but I was also looking at certain things that I thought, well, maybe, you know, we've got to look at certain things and comment on them and speak about them. Maybe her costume or maybe it was the suggestiveness of her, of her way or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I didn't say you can't do that. So therefore, I think parents really need to manage the time that our children are on their, their uh, what kind of FaceTime they're having, mm-hmm. you know, or or, or technology, right, don't want right. and say you can't before you go to bed. There's so much research right now. They should be off their devices at least two hours before yeah, bed. Yeah, no, I know. And, and, we're and, terrible and, at and that. And then with it, you can talk, you can be together, yep. you can go outside, you can whatever, stretch, have fun together, tell stories. Either, oh, yeah. Oh, it's would, amazing what happens when you actually follow through with those rules, which... You know, we try and then it just gets hard because you can get lazy as parents. I you know, understand, you, you've yeah. got three kids, you know, eight, 11, and 14. You know, you, 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 they go to school and you're sort of parenting. And then at night, it's like your time. You know, you want mm-hmm. them to just go into their rooms and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. So then Aaron and I can have our time to sure. just hang out. If we're constantly on their asses about like to get off the tech, get off of this, then it's just like up until the last minute. But when it does happen and and, and we're like, we're done, 10 o'clock, you're done. They all migrate into our room and they just get on the bed 
and then they start fucking around with each other and pushing yeah. each other in, in the best way. Yeah. You know, and conversing and communicating. Family more. time. Yes. Yeah. It, it just naturally happens yeah. that way, you know? I mean, I would, I don't know. Listen, I, you know, we grew up, you had a pager. Yeah, that we was, did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, had I mean, to, yeah. you had to buy for the pager. And I was thinking, and we need that now because you're teenagers, right? Uh, but you didn't grow up in that world. No, totally different. You just missed it, you know, which was great because your communicative skills are amazing. A lot of our children can't communicate. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. One little boy in, in a mind-up school, we put mind-up in that school, and he said, well, he can't have a conversation now, but maybe when he grows up, he'll be able to have the conversation. Well, he was 10, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating that that he really didn't have the art of conversing because they text all the time. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. these are the things we're losing. And in, in, in order to sustain well-being, we have to make that happen. So 9.30, devices are all there. To put them right there in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. They're in my bedroom. So you can't come and sneak and get them. Mm-hmm. That's where they are. You can come visit us in the bedroom. <laughs> and I, I tell you, I, I, say, I think that's it's, what I would do. It's so hard. <laughs> I, I really do. I mean, I... I it's about balance. <clears throat> You know, well, when you're on your camping trip, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, it's bad. There's exactly, you know, you're out in nature. There's no cell service. You know, how does we that watch feel? movies? How are the kids? You watch movies? Yeah, they're good because they know they don't. They can't have it. It's just it doesn't exist. It's not. A, it's not a, even a possibility. So we have a bunch of movies. You know, like DVDs. And like we, they're like kind of old school movies, know, and we watch I love that. And, that. I love you know, but that. the kids, again, it's balance. Like as long as they're outside, as long as they're getting into nature, as long as when we're in Colorado, they're doing their thing. I agree. Okay, nature then we is have huge. that. As mm-hmm. long as you're not in your room, twenty four seven, playing video games, yeah. which they're not. They're not. You know? Oh no, your kids are out. Yeah, they're out. I mean, they like their video games, and, and that's okay. Yeah, but I mean, when, but, when we're over, when we're at the ranch, Bodie will come over. But he's out all day playing. Yeah. I know, you know what? They go ride their bikes, yeah. their motorbikes, they're doing their thing, they're all of it. And they're, I'm telling you, and then he'll come up and he'll do it for a while. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel bad as a, as a grandparent, I don't want to stop him. That's his good thing. Mm-hmm. Enjoy time. But, I think you're already doing this, but like a mind up, because it's for kids, but for parents. Yes, we have a mind up for parents. You do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's. That's where it starts. No, you know I what know. I mean. It's like, like it's like the book Ten Mindful Minutes. Right. I wrote like parents need to become more mindful or learn. It, it's not a demand. Mm-mm. It's just a, an almost an imperative. If we want to have mindful children, good kids, happy kids, blah blah blah, we have to carry some of these attributes. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I give them little tips on how to do it. Right. So. What I did just this morning, I was on a Zoom call with the gal who's doing our little, what they call mindful moments for parents. And I'm going through various mindful Mm. moments for them. And I just worked on a brain break for them. So Mm -hmm. parents know how to take a brain break, but also why they're doing the brain break. And then the scientific uh, proof of what it actually does to your, for your brain and your body and your health, Mm -hmm. right? So this is vital. And so in our, we're launching the end of October, our uh, basically our digital channel, and it's Mind Up for Life. Mm. And that's going to be happening, and parent program is right in there. And we just finished one for Snapchat. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So we did a parent oh, program good. for Snap, yeah. 
So you're infiltrating the social medias. Yeah. You know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going completely digital. It's it's really, really exciting. And with that, you know, talking about stages of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And when I go stages of my life, it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? You know, um, and mm-hmm. I you always said happy. Mm-hmm. They didn't say what I want to do. People didn't say, what do you want to do? Right. They, what do you want to be? Well, I said at 11, I want to be happy. And then- Pretty much in my life was really about ch- not not didn't have to chase happiness. I owned it. I had it in me. I lost it for a while. Another story, but regaining it back with a psychologist and so forth. Because mm-hmm. yes, I'm like you. I went to figure myself out, mm-hmm. right? And so, well, that's but, that genetics are funny that way. You know, and they, they talk are. about anxiety. You know, sort of having a genetic component to it. Right. You know, when I went through my first bout in my 20s was just coincided exactly with you in in your 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it can, and it very well can be. Yeah. And so I, I'm telling you that was a whole, that's a whole podcast, you know, Yeah. but, um, that's a really uh, interesting fact, Mm -hmm. right? So, But anyway, but in terms of what I have done, right, is that, okay, I learned about the brain. I learned about the, all that. But then I became a producer and I'm an actress and a thing. And it was funny and I really enjoyed everything I was doing. And then I got to a certain time in my life when I moved away to Vancouver for Wyatt to become a, mm-hmm. a hockey player, his dream. Um, I started thinking about my future and the future of our world and wondering, all my philanthropies always been for children. I always wanted to help them in some way become happier. Well, I started Mind Up. Now, that's been 20 years of my life. I have never been more inspired. I have never felt more excited about what I'm doing. And you know, Oliver, I've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. But now that we're online yeah. and we're actually there, I am able to speak to having people are doing amazing videos for us, um, cardiologists talking about the power of breath and how it affects the brain mm-hmm. and how the brain affects the heart because it's so extraordinarily mm-hmm. connected and people don't know that. Mm-hmm. And we're doing breath experts. We're doing mindfulness experts. We're doing experts on, on um, neurobiology, experts on happiness. And I mean, there's so much that we're delving into now about health and wellness, but also about children and parental stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm stimulated. So when you when you look at, will I be doing this all my life? Which is a question that we ask ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes if you care about more than what you're doing now, that you continue your interests, you keep looking at other things in the world than just what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it leads you to a more purposeful life. Oh, yeah. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. But are you going to act again? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to be Mrs. Claus again. I think so. Well, I mean, it's funny, Mom. Look, you're iconic, you know. Um, you're you look at Diane Keaton and Merrill and Bette Midler and you know all of these people who seem to sort of still be working here and there, right? Mm-hmm. Or Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, you have just it's almost like you had to almost carve your own path because no one knew where to put you. So you had to create shit for yourself That's in a so sense. That's so true. Yeah, I did. And I, maybe that hasn't changed, mm-hmm. you know, because there's no reason why you shouldn't be working 
unless it's something that you're kind of just over. I know it's fun, it's so but fun. something has taken on a lot more meaning in your life rather than being an actor. Well, you know, when I produced, right, and I had my own production company for years and years, and I produced movies for me and for other people with my partner. Um, but the movies that I wanted to do or produced mostly, other than Burden of Wire and some of these crazy fun things, were about something, mm-hmm. right? It was about women. It was about where we were today. It was like trying to give, you know, a spoonful of medicine and laughing at the same time, mm. and which I thought was the best way to get your messaging across, you know? Um, I I was an, I felt I was kind of an oddity in a way because that, that to me, oh, I... I didn't have a thousand scripts on my desk mm-hmm. the way a lot of women did. I was unusual and I didn't have the opportunity to read this and read that and say, oh, I want to do that. Oh, maybe I'll do that after that. Never worked out that way. Mm-hmm. And I think I was sort of averaged a year and a half or so between movies. Really? Yeah. So I I knew somehow that I needed to create my own company. And so we did. I, I had my own company, and therefore, I was able to create, you know, product, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I was always creating product, working on scripts, rewriting, working with writers, right? And I think what happened was is that as one gets older, things change. Meaning, my character was not one that probably would adapt that well to being the old person. Mm, mm-hmm, you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So and I'm looking at my I'm looking at 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 all of the areas of 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 one's life mm-hmm. that what are the things that are the truth about you? You know, instead of pretending you're something else. Right. right? Or being having a fantasy that I can go on and I'll, you know, I'll play Medea one day. No, no. I am always dreaming. And when I was 17, I had my own dancing school. So that should have kind of brought that on. But when I was in my 50s and I went up there with Wyatt, I wasn't waiting for the phone to ring. And Mm -hmm. I never wanted my life to be dependent on waiting for the phone to ring, Mm -hmm. for somebody to want me, to be a pawn on somebody else's board. I I just didn't want to do it, not because I felt better than them, but because it wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. So I, that's when I created MindUp. It's how it started slowly and my travels and all the things that I was interested in at the time, which is spirituality, biology, brain, psychology, and put all of these things together. And that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. And my dream was a big honking dream. And I sat in my meditation room up there and I, I dreamed that I wanted this program to be global because I wanted our children who are going to grow the wrong way and become angry and aggressive. I would like our children to learn how to look at a problem from 30,000 feet up mm-hmm. so they wouldn't have the kind of anger or kind of polarizing personalities not to come to decision-making mm-hmm. together, that we could make a better world through our children's help. Well, there's psychology there too. You know what I mean? It's about learning who you are and where you came from and why you are the way that you are. You know, why you feel the things that you feel. Not just from a scientific standpoint. Yeah, this is what happens to your amygdala and it's the fight or flight and da 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 
But at what point, I guess, can you get into the psychology of it? You know what I mean? Because you got to dig out the root to really get rid of it. I, I agree with you. I think it's vital. And I also think you have to be very, very honest with yourself. We can't just do things where we're going to make ourselves feel better by lying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We could be responsible for a lot of things. It's like I look at your life and I'm thinking, God damn it, if I could change this, if I could have done that. I didn't know. What mm-hmm. was I thinking? Mm-hmm. I wish I could put time back. Right. And I take full responsibility for it. I don't pretend it didn't happen right. just to make myself feel better, right? And I think that the But idea, at the same time, you're yeah. doing the best that you could in that. Well, yeah, I mean, I can forgive myself in a way, but at the same time- To be clear, it's nothing crazy. I mean, we're talking about something crazy. It's you're a working actor. You know, you're also at at that point single for a couple years. You are a grown woman who needs to have experiences, who wants to be with boyfriends, who needs to go out and work and do their thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's just, that was the circumstances. I know, I know. And, 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 And that was- well, that's the way it was, and that's the way it yeah. is, and I get it, and you know, and everybody's driven by more than just thought. They're also driven by hormones and all kinds of things yeah. in, in that time of your life. Um, so I, you know, I get that completely. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that if you don't get down to the bottom, and I did with my family, definitely. I mean, I went deep. When I, that was when I was 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. I mean, I went for eight years. Mm-hmm. To what I call the university of me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I could scaffold and dig and excavate all kinds of things that happened to me mm-hmm. that made a difference to me. And I had interesting transference with my doctor, who I thought was a genius. I mean, now I could look at and he became everything to me. He became my father. He became my mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, I transferred so much onto him and I was so frigging young that my it was so helpful for my brain that I was able to look at that and go, gosh, one time I was lying down. It was Freudian, if you can believe it, right? Mm-hmm. And I was lying down. <laughs> and he said, I think you need to lie down or free associate today, Goldie. And I went, oh, no, but I'm feeling so good. I'm really, I feel great. He said, no, 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 no. You know, mm-hmm. try this to lie down and say whatever comes to mind. It was like a punishment. I went, okay. And I would lay there and I got, I'm thinking about my car. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about whatever. Reminds me of my dad's car. I did this thing and I just, I was just sifting my brain, like peeling away an onion Mm -hmm. and everything was coming out. It was sort of like meditation when you're meditating and you've got all these thoughts come in and out of your brain. The idea is to just let them go and come back to your breath or your mantra or whatever. That was just literally thought after thought after thought. Well, it always led me somewhere and it was fascinating of the very things that I felt. One time I was lying there remembering when I was in the crib little and I was lying playing with my feet like a baby does. Mm -hmm. My physicality was matching where I believed I was in my head and I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I suddenly looked at myself and went, oh my God, I'm I'm lying here like a baby playing with my feet, right? So there's such magic, truly, in peeling away the onion. It's not scary. You know, you can open that window that you think you never want to open, and you realize that it's not that bad. Right. It's also the commitment 
you have to commit to it, you yeah. know? Yeah. You've and sometimes it's be hard better. because you have to be vulnerable. And especially for men, I think it's harder to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with a therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, when Aaron and I went through our shit, um, you know, and I had my two years of just being a horrible human being and spiraling, you know, my therapist didn't even fucking know about it. I didn't even tell him. Okay. Because I was... I felt too ashamed to even talk to a professional, right. someone who's going to keep well, the that's secret very, about it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it's hard. No, it, it Therapy's is hard, hard but sometimes. But it's not unusual. Yeah. It's, it's not unusual. Coming threadbare, opening your chest, saying, here I am, full yes. frontal, full frontal nudity. Yeah. yeah. It's not that bad once you do it. No, it's not at all. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but, but the fear, which is, God damn, I'm not opening that door. Yeah. Right? No, I, mean, I, I know. It oh, was it's amazing. Very scary. It's amazing. You know? I was thinking about this the other night. I yeah. was actually talking to Aaron about it, just thinking about my life and where I came from and sort of my being a dad and having a stable relationship with Aaron. It's been 20 years. And I didn't come from that. You know what I mean? You and dad and that, that divorce, however that went down, mm-hmm. and then you've got dad's side of the family mm-hmm. and 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 that whole thing with his dad, you know, and then I don't know what happened with with my like great grandfather. I have no idea no. right and then on your sides of things, you know you had dad and then and then grandma and grandpa were together, but it wasn't like the most healthy sort of perfect relationship well they lived apart at toward the last they did. years, yeah. Yeah. Near each other. Right. Yeah. Do you think that the way that you carried on in your adult relationships was a reflection of what you witnessed and what you were a part of in your upbringing? You know? Mm, yeah. Meaning in, like... In, in some ways, yes. But they ask, you know, the, the question is, who are you more like? Mm-hmm. You know? All right, do you take after your mother? Do you take after your father? I still don't have that answer because I am a traveler like my dad was. I am a curious investigator like my dad was. Mm-hmm. I, my dad was a musician and I play my body, okay? I, I play, I've been playing my, myself for, mm-hmm. for a long time. That's my instrument. Uh, my father and I were absolutely best, best friends. He was quirky. Mm-hmm. He was... Um, unusual man and um my my mother was a very strong very as we put it took us on the table Mm -hmm. straight arrow uh (laughs) i mean truly one of the greats grandma was yeah one of the greats for sure so uh, she she was very stabilizing because she was strong Mm -hmm. um and i can be like that Mm -hmm. there's no doubt about it so I think I'm a little bit of a combination of the two of them. Yeah. And I remember that I tried very carefully as I witnessed my own mother um, doing some things that I wouldn't do, a little bit more controlling in a way mm-hmm. um, and so forth. And I, I didn't want to be like that, mm-hmm. right? But she loved fiercely. And you knew that you, that, that you were going to be okay when my mother was around. Yeah. So I, 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 I wanted to... Not to be my mother, and and I think it's important to differentiate hugely mm-hmm. to that. Um, and my father, um, I mean, I embody him all the time. Yeah. So 
I think that happened because I went through forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I did that very young. Yeah. That I found out who they were. For instance, my mother, her mother, my grandmother, died when she was three years old, my right. mom. She was basically an orphan. She had no real brothers and sisters. She was an only child. She was three years old. And my grandfather gave her to my Aunt Goldie. Right. And Aunt Goldie didn't ever let her call her mom or mommy or whatever because of her sister, she had a mother. And with that, Aunt Goldie had seven other children. My mother at the age of 16 got diphtheria. She lost all her hair. Whoa, I didn't know this. And she nearly died. Really? So she was there with her father, Max, who came to see her, brought her things. He remarried. And I have to say that my grandfather was, in many people's ideas, not the greatest. Mm -hmm. And then my mother decided that she was going to go and the black sheep by the way, the biggest party, fun girl ever. Mm -hmm. She was going to go to Washington during the war and get a job. And she did. Brave, went with a girlfriend, Mm -hmm. Aunt Sal. They got the job. And she met my dad. Right. And she met daddy and they obviously had sex. Yeah. And she got pregnant. That was the first baby that we just talked about. That's right. And that with that, they had to get married. And he died. Mm-hmm. And when she had a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. she went to the rabbi. She didn't know what to do. And next thing you know, new baby comes along and that's my sister, Patty. So my mother looked at Patty, would not leave her all night long. She stared oh, at her yeah. in the crib. So if my mother had any issues in life that I may have said, oh, my mom, and then, and then, and then. Mm-hmm. I learned right, totally. that she had a hot heart. Yeah. Yeah. So, you and know. And then you came? I mean, then what was that? And then I came eight years later. She made a decision. Eight years later. She made a, a decision if she was going to leave daddy or have another child. Right. So... She decided Good choice. to have another child. Yeah. Isn't that a crazy uh, yeah. either or? It's like, oh, let's either get divorced or have another kid. I mean, those are two well, ends of the spectrum. Well, it was a way of, of supporting, like going back and creating more family mm-hmm. and going back and being with my dad. Mm-hmm. And what was grandpa's, your grandparents on that side? What, do you know their story? Like his uh, mom Otto, and dad? I think Otto died kind of early or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I never knew him. Um, so when I was still little, you know, I yeah. didn't know. And then Granny um, had four sons, and one of them was my dad, and she's from the South, and she was one of those women. Mm-hmm. Just so, She had hourglass figure and looked real good, and mm-hmm. she was one of those. I love my boys. And she was that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She used to say... <laughs> she came to live with us one time, and I was a teenager. I was like 13, 
And then my mom went to work and daddy went to work. And she said, are you going to leave me alone with Sleeping Beauty again? <laughs> she was like, I, thought, I don't think she likes me very much. Um, but but no, no, that was that. Was that. But daddy's family was great. All yeah. the brothers and, and all the cousins. And they were all girls. They yeah. had one boy. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Stormy was the only boy. <clears throat> all oh, the wow. brothers had girls. Yeah, I mean, I I relate to that because with with my with my situation, I mean, from the outside, you know, with my dad, it's there's it's easy just to sort of hate and feel hurt and you know just not have any sort of compassion for his situation because it's all about me. But when you really think about it and go back into his life, you know, which I've talked about before, mm-hmm. where his dad bailed on him in the middle of the night oh, and he's sitting horrible. by the window horrible. waiting for his father to come home. Right. Once you know that and how can how can one not have compassion and forgiveness I for that? I agree with you. I think you know that, what I mean? Yeah. I, it's for me personally, it's just sort of like, oh man, that's fucking rough. And, and at that time, no tools no. You know, to deal with that. No, it, what, and neither what, did his mother. Right, neither did his mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, you're just left to sort of wave in the wind and, 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 and sort of, you know, move off, move into your life and, and good luck. That's right. And, <laughs> you, know? you know, you wonder where fear of abandonment comes in or mm-hmm. these kind of things that people live with, which, you know, can create a, a lifestyle, a long life of, of fear, fearing people are going to leave you. Um, so that's very unstable, mm-hmm. an unstable perspective on your future. Um, well, it's coming back to mind up even yeah. like... I'm 45 years old, you know, and it took me till I was maybe 40 to truly understand what that forgiveness was after going to Hoffman mm-hmm. and and dealing with that and breaking down my relationship with you and mm-hmm. with dad and with pa and all of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but wouldn't it be nice to be able to do that earlier? You know what I mean? Because yeah. a lot of these kids have probably struggled with abandonment issues, with parental issues. Yes. And I know it's probably hard from a cognitive standpoint, whether you're, how developed that brain is. Right. But it would be nice to sort of understand that kind of forgiveness earlier on. Well, that, that, that's a um, interesting, not abstract, but you need to be a certain time and, and age mm-hmm. to get some level of, of an understanding like that. Mm-hmm. Well, mind up. What it does, it prepares a child. It prepares their brain. It gets them used to feeling for someone else. That means that, you know, like compassion, um, empathy Mm -hmm. uh, can be taught, which is really interesting. Um, So when we do with the mind up, we do, you know, first of all, we learn about the parts of the brain that are the emotional parts, right? Mm -hmm. And then we learn about the prefrontal cortex, which is where you can think, make decisions and so forth. And they learn about that. But in the experiential part of mind up, it starts to fire the brain and the neurons in a way that actually can create habituated thinking, meaning more positive thinking, mm-hmm. or meaning that now we do an exercise where we do acts of kindness. Now, they do this when they're very little. We're starting from uh, preschool to, and all the way up to eighth grade. So it becomes beautifully habituated in the brain. Mm-hmm. When when we think do things, when we imagine things, when we are feeling bad, all the and, and feeling good, same thing, but it's different. Obviously, one's positive, one's negative. But these neurons are firing together, mm. right? 
firing, same story you're telling yourself, firing together, same story I'm telling myself. I'm not very good. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. I'm not going to get home. I'm not going to win. I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to get my grades good. My mom, you know, my brother's bothering me. My All negative. That means that they're wiring, meaning they're firing together, means they're wiring together. Mm. When you wire neurons, it's hard to get out of the loop of this sort of internal chat. Oh, God, I know that. Yeah, And that is an important part of what we're teaching children in the school. When you understand how these neurons work, you have agency over your own brain by what you put in it. Because your thought is you. Your brain will will basically manipulate it. Mm-hmm. So we talk about memories. We talk about the hippocampus and the things that we do remember, and how sometimes we remember scary things, mm-hmm. right? And but we have to understand that we have the understanding that we can supplant some of those things. So when a child feels that way, at least they have more understanding of how to make themselves calm. Yeah. And that's their brain break. So we do three times a day, a brain break. So now the kids will say, I think I need a brain break, which means that they're becoming aware of themselves and what they're feeling. This is huge. Yeah. I mean, if we don't do this when they're young, yeah. they won't have the plie that you get to jump. You oh, know, yeah. they won't have preparation. I wish I had that. I mean, you talked about me. Remember, I was like just negative meaning like I would start something and get frustrated and if I couldn't do it, I'd just quit. I know. You know, like I these know. were negative thoughts, negative patterns mm-hmm. just playing out in my in my mind, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. How did you deal with that then? With you know, because obviously you didn't have the knowledge that you do now. But with your kids, what did you do? Do you remember? I remember saying to you, "Will you you try to you know give reaffirmation? Of course you can do it, Mm -hmm. honey. You know, you know it's really simple. You did it before. You did it the other day. Um, It's you know a way of trying to help them know that they can do it." Um, but at the same time, your mindset was so strong, and I didn't have you know any other tools Mm -hmm. than than other than to say, of course you can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is a way of, because you would become anxious, you know? In which case mm-hmm. then I may have said, okay, let's sit down and do our brain break, you know? Mm-hmm. Because there is an example which is really interesting. We had one child in the class who was an autistic child. And that his hands, he couldn't stop shaking his hands. They were taking a test and he went completely anxiety ridden. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the kids came up and said, do you think we could do a brain break and sit around the circle? And the teacher said, of course, and they did. And he stopped shaking his mm-hmm. hands and he was able to contain himself and take the test. Mm-hmm. So these are biological and neurological uh, uh, assets, mm-hmm. happenings. This is, this is the result. So the brain break isn't a meditation, right? No. No. So I explain what that is. You yeah. know, because a brain people, break is, is what cool every brain shit. needs a break, yeah. okay? Our brains get overworked. They get overtired. Yeah. They and, get, and by the way, this can, adults can do this. And adults can do it, Right. Know, is that what we do have is we have something which I believe is a great uh, apparatus, um, and you can use it however you want. Uh, and if you don't have it, it's fine. But what I like is is that the the chime, okay, is only there because it brings your brain around a sound. That means that you're settling your focused attention on a sound until you can't hear it anymore. That already brings attention to the brain. Then you start to follow your breath. And as you breathe in and out, you realize that that breath is actually going to get 
irregular. Sometimes you breathe in, sometimes, oh, I take a deep, deep breath. You can do any kind of breath you want. Just follow it. The reality about the brain is that it thinks no matter what. The brain is one of those things that just never stops thinking, mm-hmm. as we all could say, oh shit, I wish I could stop my mm-hmm. brain from thinking. Yeah. Well, it doesn't stop. Okay, The brain is not your mind. Your brain is just a function. It's an amazing thing. It's apparatus for us. It's a great downloadable um, ability, like a, like a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the brain itself is just a squiggly mass of gray matter with gyri at the top and little areas of the brain that actually where th- certain things get activated. So that's what you got to know. Thought comes in. Mm-hmm. You just let it go like a cloud and come back to your breathing. And this could happen 50 times during a sitting. So when you do your short brain break, know that this is not going to take long. Mm-hmm. If you had a bell and did it, it would be awesome. I'd put it at my desk for sure uh, or where you're working. But at the same time, it is a great ability to relax your brain and your body. Breath, focused, we do it in the classroom mm-hmm. for three and a half minutes. Mm. That's it. For an adult, five minutes goes by like yeah. wildfire. So I think for five minutes, you can find time to bring your blood pressure down, mm-hmm. to bring your breath in an easier way. Sometimes when you get really relaxed, your breath um, is very soft. Mm-hmm. You'll find that your breath is going to be much quicker when you start. But then as you settle your body and relax your body in your breath and also your your ability to focus on that, yeah, then you will. It's funny too how, you know, especially kids are more, some are more apt to that sitting still and some aren't because we've done that with my three, with three, with Wilder, Bodhi, and Rio. Yeah. First of all, Bodhi wants to like meditate every day. He's like, can we do a meditation? Like he gets in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I yeah, mean, he sits still and he's in. Wilder is all over the place. He yeah. cannot sit still, but that's his nature. Yeah, he's just that. He's just that bubbly sort of. You got that. He's got that energy mm-hmm. running through him, or that ADD, mm-hmm. or whatever the hell it is. But he, it's much more difficult for him. Right. Well, it can be developed though, and what we have to realize is that the anything that we want, if you want to do it, it's like dancing. It's like doing a triple pirouette instead of a single one. Mm -hmm. You just have to practice. And it's the same thing. That's why they call it a practice. Mm -hmm. Because you can learn to quiet your mind. Oh, yeah. I've experienced that, you know. I've gone through meditations or or moments of of trying to meditate and where I really stick with it. And from where it begins to where I end... You know, it's night and day. You can drop in much, much quicker, much easier. You can. You it know? Is. It's but like during my in. anxiety in the last however long, meditation is extremely important, but it was fucking hard. Yeah. It was hard to sit still and actually go there. I my it was so all over the place. Right. You know. Yeah. I found moments, but it was more of just the act of doing it. I think that's actually important. Sometimes you don't have a good meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't. Your brain is active. You've got stuff going on your mind. It's it's not easy to become a professional meditator. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is important is that you do it. Yeah. All right, I got to go. Okay, honey, I love you. I love you. Thank you, Mom. This was fun. This is so great. And it's uh, 45 years I made it. So. <laughs>
<laughs> Lungs are good. You're so great. Um, I love you. I love you. Bye. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Bresnik. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.